Okay. Where are we? John chapter 3. We're looking at verse 17 through 21, but I'll just start with verse 16 because it really goes together. So in the third chapter of John's gospel, in verse 16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Lord, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for everything. Life, breath, days, joy, everything. I mean, without you, we got nothing. And so here we stand, Lord. And even now, looking at your word, without you, we got nothing, even when we're looking at your word. And I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you would descend upon us in this room and show us everything we need to see from this passage about you, about us, about where we are in this moment, individually and as a church. And help us to walk in the light, your light. And we pray this now, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So when we look at this, I mean, there's just a lot going on here. But the emphasis really ends up being about the light when we go through this passage. And all that will start to make sense as we get a little further down the page. But let's just start with verse 17. Jesus' purpose. Remember, anytime you read the word for, F-O-R, in your Bible, you could just about always substitute the word because. Because God loved the world so much, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus has come as our Savior, not as our condemner. I find this a challenging and frustrating concept to grasp and be able to articulate to others. He is the judge, but he's not really here to judge. Okay, that doesn't make sense. But he's here as a Savior. But he has to also play the role of judge because somebody has to do it. And when Jesus plays this role of judge, he's really just stating what's really true. He's not even really making judgment call necessarily. 
He's just saying, look, this is what really is. He's stating reality. And him as our savior is to deliver us out of the condemnation that we already exist in. I mean, he's, he came here the first time as just a savior, as the suffering savior. And in his return, he's going to come as the conquering king and judge of the world. The first Jesus was really easy to get along with. The one that's coming back, not so much. It's kind of going to be his way or the highway. Which brings us to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I mean, notice the contrast that John makes here in this condemnation and judgment verse that between not condemned and condemned already, it appears kind of subtle and almost a splitting of hairs, kind of like a lawyer would do. However, this difference between not condemned and condemned is really as big as the sky because what John is explaining to us is that our state, before we come to know Jesus as our Savior, is the state of already condemned. It's not like we started out neutral and somebody decided we were condemned. We started out on the condemned side right from the get-go. Now, it's kind of a long explanation of how that happens, how that's the case that we start out in condemned state. But the short answer very short, very incomplete answer is because of our fallen human nature, we were born in sin. And being born in sin means we are born into a state of condemnation. And so Jesus, when he shows up, he doesn't need to condemn anyone. We already there. It's already happened before he even shows up in their life, in my life. And so it's like someone stuck in the snow and we drive up beside them. I don't have to declare, behold, you are stuck in the snow. Duh, I knew that before you drove up, bud. Right? I mean, nobody has to tell somebody you're stuck in the snow. They know it before you get there. But what does have to happen is to convince them that you have a way to get them out of the snow if you're willing. And Jesus is willing. Look, you're already condemned. I'm, I'm here to help you get out of condemnation. I'm here to be as the third verse that we just sang. Behold, my eye diffused a quickening ray. The dungeon doors flew open. My cell filled with light. My chains fell off. I went forth and followed him. That's what Jesus does. He shows up to our prison cell, kicks the door open with a bunch of bright light, and the chains fall off, and we walk out. And do you know what it means when you walk out of prison? You ain't condemned no more. You are not condemned. Jesus' act of judgment is simply to assess the current state and to make it plain to us. It reminds me of the ending of the Chronicle of Narnia series in the final book, The Last Battle. In chapter 13, 
the dwarves who were fighting against the children have been taken into the land of Aslan along with the children. Kind of like being in heaven, but not exactly. This is how C.S. Lewis describes all of this. He's trying to create a metaphor, a picture. It's not going to be exactly theologically correct. But as these dwarves are inside the door, they've passed through the doorway into this special place, yet they cannot see. To them, it's pitch black in their eyes. Even though the room is well lit and the children standing there can easily see everything just as you and I can see right now. These dwarves even have a vast feast laid before them as they're sitting there on the ground in their pitch darkness. But they cannot smell it. And even when they finally take a bite, they complain that it is bland and tasteless. This is just completely perplexing to the children in this scene. This isn't a phenomenal feast laid out in front of you. How can you say it's bland and tasteless? That's their state of condemnation as being those who've opposed Aslan. Here they are with all the goodness of, of life in front of them. They can't see it. It has no taste and they can't smell it. It's as empty of an existence as you can get. Doesn't that kind of sound like some of our lives before we came to faith in Christ? The whole vastness of goodness in front of us, but we couldn't really taste it, and we couldn't see it, and we couldn't smell it. It was just bland. And we tried to cover it up with this vice or that vice, but that only worked for so long. And then the blandness and tastelessness of life returned. We couldn't avoid it anymore. And then Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden, everything tastes good again. Life is actually fun and worth living. Which brings us to verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now we come to this one idea are one of the ideas that just permeates throughout the entire Gospel of John. This idea of light and dark. In fact, this idea of light and dark goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. John uses light and dark as metaphors for good and evil. And we see this in the way that Nicodemus comes. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus, are you kidding me? Is that the best you can do? We know you are a teacher from God. Really? 
teachers, when was the last time one of you Pharisee teachers did something like opening a blind man's eyes? When did that happen? Just a teacher? And the rest of the passage as Jesus and Nicodemus interact shows that Nicodemus is, he is spiritually in darkness just as he came to Jesus in the darkness of night because he cannot understand what Jesus is saying. We see this same idea repeated with every confrontation Jesus has with the religious leaders. Just look at Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Right? Blindness has with it this idea of darkness, not being able to see because of the blackness created by blindness. So blindness itself is another metaphor for spiritual darkness in John's gospel. And here are the Pharisees, blind, they can't see. Jesus tells us what we have already come to know intuitively here, that what is not right is kept hidden, and evil is darkness. Even, even non-believing literature, stories, and movies illustrate and present evil as darkness. Have you ever noticed how the Halloween movies always occur at night? In the darkness of night? Oftentimes, the evil character will be portrayed in a dark, shadowy lighting to illustrate visually the evilness that they represent. Yet it is more than just evil is dark. Evil prefers to operate in the darkness, as John shows us in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Right, he's Here he is. At the, uh, at the Last Supper, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, this is John talking about himself, so John leans back against Jesus and says, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, Judas. And Jesus said to him, Judas, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him, and some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. John constantly uses this idea of light and darkness to represent good and evil, and how evil prefers operating in the darkness, and when it's at its most comfortableness, moving among men is in the darkness of night. But John also highlights how truth and righteousness come into the light 
In fact, truth and righteousness are found in the light. It's almost seldom will you find truth and righteousness in darkness. What I mean is you and I can only find truth and righteousness for ourselves by stepping out of the shadows and into the light. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I am going. Jesus knows where he's going. He knows where he came from. Because he knows where he came from and where he's going, he walks in the light. In fact, because he is truth and righteousness that has come from the Father, the only Son, he is light. In fact, at the very beginning, what does John tell us at the very beginning of the gospel? That the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, that is Jesus, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It almost sounds like John's saying in that verse, in the very beginning of chapter 1, that the world was condemned already before Jesus showed up. Well, this is all kind of uncomfortable, right? I mean, it's not too uncomfortable because we kept it third person, right? It's them that are walking in darkness, and them that need to come into the light. Well, it was sort of, so do we. We, we, we. we need to come into the light too. But it's not fun coming into the light when you're used to hanging out in the shadows. Nobody really wants to do that. I had a little lesson in darkness myself this week and I didn't particularly like it. And I came into the light and it was kind of painful at first. I mean, it hurt. I was like, somebody give me sunglasses. And, and but, that's, but that's, that's what happens when we're in the shadows and we come into the light. It's going to be painful at first, but just for a little while. So, Come into the light. That's just, I mean, I don't know how else. I mean, there's no, there's no, no cute, sophisticated way to say this. Well, I mean, there probably is, but it's not very, not any easier or any better than the simple way. Come into the light. Step out of the darkness and come into the light. Okay. What am I really trying to get at here? Well, come into the light. That's what I'm really trying to get at. The first thing, I just have four things I want you to think about here in relation to this. The first one being is, you know, understand your current state. Either you and I are already in the ditch or Jesus has pulled us out of the ditch. And if he has redeemed you, give testimony to what Jesus has done. Don't hide your light. Right? You're not in the darkness, but you hide in your light. Don't hide it. Give testimony to what Jesus has done. If you're still in the ditch, take Jesus' hand and get out of the ditch. I mean, this is not really rocket science here. 
you in the ditch. And the only way you're getting out is grabbing Jesus's hand and letting him pull you out. So take his hand and get out of the ditch. The uh, second pointer is step out into the light. Whether you're doing it for the first time or for that area of your life that's still in the shadows. Because look, we all got them. I got shadows that I don't like coming out in the light. And so do you. Step out in the light. Listen. I know this experientially. Nothing feels so terrifying than to be in the shadows and to take the risk of stepping out into the light. Yet, nothing feels so glorious, so delightful, so relieving as stepping into the light and being rid of your darkness. Yes, coming into the light is painful at first, but my experience has been that that is less painful than the pain of staying in the darkness. What if somebody finds out I'm in the dark? And remember, in the darkness, you've opened the door and are given access to the enemy of your soul. He operates in the darkness. So the longer you stay there, the more exposed and the more vulnerable you are. Third is walk in the light of his glory and grace. See, in reality, we walk in the light with him because that's where he is. He is in the light. He is light. Wherever he goes, it's light. So when we walk with him, we are walking in the light. And it is the only place that we can walk with him. So walk with him in the light. However, we have to also recognize that there are times when we have to sort of step back into the darkness. Sometimes we need to step into the darkness for a rescue mission. You can't set a prisoner of Satan free without going into the prison where he or she is enchained and proclaim liberty for the captives. But when you go on a rescue mission, step into the darkness, we only do so while keeping ourselves anchored in the light while we are invading the darkness. Remember, someone did that for you. You and I were in the darkness. We were in this prison cell that Charles Wesley described and somebody went in and kicked the door open and proclaimed liberty to us in the name of Jesus. And in that testimony and witness came the light that flooded our cell and the chains fell off. Are you willing to do for someone what has been done for you? Someone went into the prison cell for you. And sooner or later, God's going to call you to go in somebody's prison cell and be an instrument of his liberty. And it'll be scary. I've been in prison cells. I've actually been on death row with death row prison inmates. And yeah, it's scary. It is really uncomfortable to be in prison. Even when you know you're not staying even when you know you're not on death row and they're not going to grab you and put you in the electric chair, it's still scary. But we do it because God calls us to do it and somebody did it for us. 
and the glory of his grace shines through that moment. I never forget that moment. And I'm like, why am I here? What am I doing in the middle of all these murderers? And there are really no guards close by, right? I mean, it's not like if one of them decides they want to kill me, I can stop them. It's not like one of the guards are going to get there in time to stop them because they've left the room. It's just me and these killers. What am I doing here? I'm here because Jesus sent me here. I don't know why he sent me here, but he sent me here. And then the working of the Spirit occurs. And all of a sudden, I ain't afraid no more. In fact, these guys are actually eager to know why God does things the way he does things. And for the next two hours, I forgot that I was in death row. I forgot that I was talking to killers. I was talking to men who wanted to be free from their darkness. And by God's glory, they did. Yes, they still were, in the one case, executed a year later. But they were executed as a man freed from his darkness and eager to go see his Savior. He had no objection to the state ending his life because he knew he deserved it for the crimes he had done and because on the other side of death was his Savior waiting for him. What? I, get, I got to be a part of that? I mean, I, I didn't do that. I just happened to get there. It's like what the missionaries tell me, foreign missionaries on foreign mission fields. It's like, you guys don't realize all we do is we just, we just sit on the front row and watch what God does. We don't really do anything. And it was in that day that I realized what they meant. I was just sitting on the front row watching the Holy Spirit transform a person in front of my eyes. That's what our rescue missions are. We we just get a front row seat to what the Spirit does at setting someone free. But you got to be free yourself first. It's like on the airplanes, right? If the oxygen mask come down from the ceiling, you put yours on first before you try to help someone else put theirs on. You got to be free before you can help somebody else be free. What do you need to be free of? What is in the shadows today that you need to be free of? I don't know. God has not chosen, praise God, He has not chosen to give me supernatural insight to know what's in your shadows. I'd probably be as freaked out about what's in your shadows as you are if I knew what they were. All I know is that for some reason today is the day He's chosen to say, come out of the shadows. Get free and then be ready to help somebody else be free. That's all I can say. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I got nothing else for you other than that. And you won't regret it. You might regret it in the beginning. In fact, you'll probably regret it in the beginning when you step out of the shadows. But not for long. You won't regret it. Not for long.
And then you'll be glad you're into the light. You'll be glad that you're free. And you'll ask yourself, why did I wait so long to come out of the shadows? So, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your glorious, beautiful light that invades our darkness on your rescue mission to set us free from the chains that bind us. And Lord, I pray that even now, your light is just bursting forth into the every corner of our lives and our hearts and our souls and our minds. That there's not one square inch that isn't illuminated by your glorious light. And we are finally free and walking in your light. Oh Lord, we ask this. We plead with you for this, for ourselves and for those whom we love the most. In Jesus' holy name, amen.